Welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. Today, I interview Tanu Betty Seraphim. She's a conscious relationship coach. We're talking all things compassion. So you may be a practitioner of applying compassion to yourself when going through a hard time or when life hits you with curveballs, but I know that a lot of us don't know really what it means to take compassion and apply it to ourselves during these times. So today we're going to break it down, uh, why compassion is beneficial for you, and how to do some practices to take into your own life. Uh, Tanu has studied with so many different teachers, and I respect her so greatly. And this Saturday, she will be inviting you to a meditation practice she's doing around Tara Brock's RAIN. We go into what RAIN is, and I'm going to put a link to Tanu's Instagram in the show notes. If you're interested in learning the technique after listening to the podcast, even if you don't get a chance to listen, go to her Instagram and in her link tree, you will find a link to take part in this beautiful ritual that she's going to be holding on Saturday. Thanks so much. Hey there, welcome to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. I started this show to highlight the intuitives, healers, and other courageous women that I've met along my journey and continue to meet. Through amazing interviews, I seek to ask insightful questions to uncover ways in which you, the listener, can apply the wisdom and knowledge to your own life. I believe that we're all in this together, so sharing healing and joy and bringing community together is both my passion and purpose. If you'd like to learn more about the Mystical Sisterhood community I'm building, please visit www.mysticalsisterhood.com. See you in the episode. Welcome back, everybody. This is Maureen, and I'm here with Tanu, and we're here to talk about compassion today. It is the topic that we're coming in with. I know that we'll probably cover many things during this time together, but for the audience, the reason I wanted to have Tanu on for this conversation is that she and I met during Dr. Shafali's Conscious Parenting program and connected. We're lucky enough to sit together or join together in a circle of women um, where we kind of worked on the principles we were learning and began to talk about our lives and how the topics being offered affected us and how, you know, how could we understand um, everything we were learning and sort of process it and begin to apply it to our lives. And I'll have to say for me, you know, of the many topics I learned about compassion has been a really big one because um, as we'll get into today, I think it's a neglected um, sort of area. I think it's not one people have taken deeper dives into, even though there are really big bodies of work out there about compassion. And the reason I wanted Tanu to come on is because I know her to not only be um, an avid seeker of, I think, teachers, uh, wisdom teachers who teach on compassion, but also just a person who's taken deep dives into the material. And I thought, Tanu, you'd be just the perfect person today. Um, So I just want to welcome you and thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Maureen. It's such a privilege to be here. And uh, I'm excited to talk about this topic because it's so important to my heart. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, and I know, um, I don't know if it was a self-discovery around compassion and your interest in the material um, that came in the past few years or before that. But um, to begin with, I know you're one of the persons who sat with me who began in a much different career. <laughs> yes. Um, so I I was actually working as a science researcher in a neuroscience lab. And, uh, and then I had children and I took a break. Um, and uh, that's sort of how my journey began, but it was very different from uh, where we are right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Not a lot of uh, <laughs> compassionate talk going on in the labs around the world. I'm sure <laughs> it's, it's different, right? It's um, I think that compassion, like you said, uh, initially, it's not something that most of us engage in talking about. So um, it's not something that is, that is very prevalent in most of our work cultures, I would say in our society. Yeah. Yeah. And then you took, you took the time off um, to raise your kids and begin those years with them. And I, I was thinking before we met, I mean, raising children requires a lot of compassion. It, it calls upon so many reserves from us Mm -hmm. that quite frankly, so many come a bit ill-equipped to provide for our kids. Um, And I think that's one way in conscious parenting, that compassion begins to be uh, something we talk about in not only offering them, but offering ourselves first. But can you say a little bit about how you became interested in, in this topic? Yeah. Um, so I think when I became a parent, I, I, I myself was raised in a family where um, it was very much a dictatorship, uh, very much a traditional parenting style. So when I had children, um, I just knew in my heart that I wanted to do it differently, but I didn't have any models for it. Um, And what ended up happening is that because of my background in science, I sort of threw myself into um, the child rearing psychology, child development and things like that naturally. Um, And I memorized a lot of the scripts that many of the wonderful psychologists provide us with um, but when I had my second child, I wasn't able to keep up with the scripts because I was having postpartum anxiety and depression, and um, and it, it was a it was a difficult time for me. Um, and that's when I started to turn to uh, mindfulness and meditation, and that was probably um, my first. Um, introduction with um, compassion where I did this, where I did this self-compassion meditation and I put my hand on my uh, cheek and the tears would just not stop flowing. (laughs) And um, so that, that's the first time I think I remember um, my, my direct contact with, you know, the the work with compassion. Um, But it wasn't until much later that um, I, I really became much more focused on it. Um, so I also self-studied a lot of uh, Dr. Kristen Neff's work, who is a science researcher who focuses on mindful self-compassion. And uh, uh, Tara Brock is another one of my teachers. And um, and 
uh, Dr. Shafali, doc, um, Dr. Gabor Mate, uh, Susie Lula all sort of have uh, this underlying theme um, of compassion. And more and more, I realized that um, this work cannot be cannot be done without compassion and um, just healing my own relationship with myself um, really required me to become compassionate because what ended up happening as I was telling you about my parenting uh, journey, I realized that I was just um, being really harsh with myself. I kept feeling like a failure. I kept feeling inadequate um, and I realized that the key was to have radical acceptance and radical compassion for myself. And only then I could begin to transform um, any of my other relationships. Um, That's sort of how I came to um, just really focusing on compassion. And I strongly believe now that, um, you know, you can have all the intellectual knowledge about uh, this is what you should say to your child or this is what you need to do in order to integrate some of your own traumas, perhaps. However, it's incomplete until you begin to have self-compassion. And only when we are able to be self-compassionate, we can offer compassion to other people that is actually authentic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's deep and it's layered. And thank you for sharing those pieces and parts of your journey and how they unfolded for you, sort of by even, I like how you were beginning with, you had that scientific kind of background. And so you started to turn to things that were probably developmentally, scientifically supported, Mm -hmm. um, and that appealed to you. And that's for a lot of people, because a lot that we kind of push it away, and, and if it's not rooted in science, then you know, we're not, a lot of people aren't going to go there. So I like you pointing that out because um, I think more and more we're finding that this work is supported by, it's just, we just sometimes assume it's not going to be. So you named Kristen Neff as a teacher. I've, I've heard you talk a lot about Tara Brock's work, but um, you know, uh, and I've, I've heard you talk, I think it was her in particular that has the rain, um, and that's, that's regarding compassion too. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's a really neat uh, framework. And I always like to just more and more uh, give the listeners things that they can take away, even if it's something that they go look into more themselves. But um, yeah, what about that? Oh, yeah, I, I love that you're asking me this question. And I absolutely love Tarbrock's work. Uh, it has been so um important in my own journey and uh, uh so it's it's a tool reign of compassion is a tool and while um this practice is not something that Tara Brock developed uh, it it pre-existed however she has her own version which really focuses on the compassion piece of it um and I have learned to rely on it um, a lot, especially during difficult times. Um, So RAIN is an acronym and it stands, the R stands for recognize and A stands for allow, I stands for investigate and N stands for nurture. Um, So this tool is basically 
a really beautiful and very practical way of reparenting yourself. And that's, that's what I really love about it. Um, so when you're practicing how I do it, just if the listeners want to practice it and <clears throat> Tarbrock has a lot of resources, I, I hope I do it justice. Um, but um, so when you are practicing, what you need to do is just kind of settle down and just, you know, um, sit with silence for a couple of minutes and then you could do this as a meditation or you could do it as a journaling practice or you could even do it um, uh, with a buddy. Um, I often do it with a buddy um, on a weekly basis. And um, and then it just becomes over time, it just becomes your go to and you could be doing it on your phone uh, in, a, in a moment of distress. So so just settle down in kind of center and just allow what's there to just you know, just attune to yourself, right? And then R for recognize. So in recognize, you are sort of separating yourself from the story. This person said this, this is what happened. And it's often very easy for us to get caught up in the story. So when we go to recognize, we're recognizing some of the main facts of what what happened. And then we're also focusing on what are the primary emotions that are that this is bringing up for me and just either, you know, just getting present to them, or if you're journaling, just writing that out. And then um, just sitting with that for a few minutes. And uh, once you have recognized, okay, I am feeling anger. I may be feeling sadness. Oh, I just realized there's shame. Um, You know, so once you have that, then you move into the next step, which is allow the A of rain, allow. And allowing basically what it does is it helps us to move from from our storyline into just welcoming what is here, right? And um, it also allows us to, as Tarbrock says, that it, it allows us to see that this is just a wave and then we can be the ocean. We're not that wave. So we're separating a little bit, creating some space from that emotion and just allowing it to be here and kind of reminding ourselves that this too is part of our human experience, whether that's anger or sadness or um, shame or what have you. And once you have allowed it and you have reminded yourself that um, this too, this too belongs and um, I can hold this emotion as well it's okay for it to be here um then we move into um the eye of rain which is investigate Mm -hmm. and while the word investigate may sound intellectual it the process itself is not so it's very much shifting using the allowing part and shifting from the storyline and thoughts into the felt perception And this is where you ask yourself, okay, what am I believing? So what is the limiting belief under all of this? What is the most painful thing I'm believing? What is, what feels most vulnerable right now? And if I could just really get in touch with that, where do I feel it in my body? And what is it, what does it feel like? Does it have a texture? 
Does it have, you know, what sensation is it? Is it that my, my belly is clenched or my jaw is clenched or is my heart feeling heavy? Right. So just kind of getting really present to all of that. And then the next step is nurturing the end of rain. And in nurturing, this is the reparenting part. And um, so this is where you call upon either your own higher self, or if you believe in some sort of God, um, or, you know, some some loving um, person in our life, for example, for many people, it could be their grandparents, or it could be, you know, uh, some wise teacher it could be Tarbrock herself. <laughs> um, so whoever you relate to most um, it, and see them as this wise, loving, um, you know, persona. Uh, so just calling upon that. And I think Elizabeth Gil- Gilbert, the, the writer, talks about she writes a letter to love every morning. So it could just be love itself, right? Whatever uh, resonates with you. And kind of calling them in and now asking how this part of us that's feeling whether that's sadness or shame or um whether it's anger um or whatever our feelings are how do they want this higher self or this this loving wise um identity to be with it and then offering that and then offering that part, to, um, you know, the the nurturing, it may just be as simple as um, saying, you know, darling, I care about your suffering. This is a line from Dr. Kristen Neff, actually. Um, but it could be something like, I see you. Um, I love you. Or, or, you know, when we ask, how would you like me? How would you like this um, identity to be with with you? you may get a response and really tuning in to what is the need, you know, that that's unmet. Um, and we often will find that we have this really, really young part within us that's just seeking for some reassurance, for some reminder um, that says you are lovable. You are good inside. And I see you and I love you. So just offering that to those parts, those parts of us that are hurting. And you conclude the rain with just checking in with yourself. Like, what is my um, sense of being right now after having done this process? And has that shifted from when I started to where I am now? And maybe what is something that I want to take away? Uh, that I want to remember that it may be a one-line mantra that came to you, some insight that may have come to you, and just kind of taking that um, away with us uh, into our lives. So oh, that, that's how. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Tanu, what a beautiful explanation. I think that um, you went through each step, just listening to it, the way you describe it and with your voice and and just even I noticed that the slowing down, the really, because what it reminds me of too, is the way that I was taught or not taught to be with my emotions would be, as we always say, kind of suppressing them, not tending to them. So then we go in our life and we're, we just, 
we don't even know that we have this whole operating state underneath, like seriously. And so that process was beautiful because I think it mirrors, I I have studied Susie Lula's, the language of uh, self-compassion, her course might just be compassion or self-compassion, but um, that has similarities, but it's really um, calming down, slowing down, it feels like it's so good for our nervous system because like you were saying, when you're in distress, when you have something flare up in your life, if you have the time in the space and if you can make the time in the space, I, I I would say too, have the question of, have you witnessed yourself go from a point of distress to just a radically different space within that process of RAIN? Yes, yes, thank you. I want to really highlight something you said. Um, so I told you that I have been practicing this this process. Um, I have it like on my calendar once weekly. And time and time again, when I have um, arrived for the meeting with my buddy, um, there has been times where I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about today. And yet there is something that comes up and, and there, at the end of it, I am so grateful that I have this time of checking in with myself because if I didn't, the alternative would be that I would go around my life projecting all of that pain, grief, shame onto my kids, especially mm-hmm. onto all of my relationships. So it, it's been a really powerful practice for me to just uh, make sure that um, I process what I would not have otherwise. And um, so it's been it's been really helpful in that sense. And oh my gosh, uh, I, I can't say that it solves all my problems, right? It doesn't. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, uh, even in, in the midst of my distress, it has time and time again helped me move from hopelessness, uh, move from where I'm just feeling intense shame um, or just, you know, a lot of sadness into at least creating space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At least creating that little space where I can um, allow myself to kind of reach in and soothe myself and allow presence to come through, allow um, um, my wiser self to come through so that I'm not operating from my child self in my life as much. And, um, and like I said, and then there's been times where it's, it's uh, allowed a major shift where I came in with like so much distress and then I'm leaving with like lightness and uh, you know, it's it's just completely it's a matter of perspective often right so it's like uh before i'm seeing it from just like from my child self level and then i'm able to take that like uh, susie lula says mountaintop view Mm -hmm. so it's been really powerful practice for me oh it sounds like it i it's just and it's the softening and it's the the inner i always call it inner dialogue i you're right back to what you said in the beginning my inner dialogue, my whole life has been really harsh, really punitive, really. And 
it's just, um, it's something that I, again, on some level accepted that was going to be, you know, ever present in my life. So we, it's proof that, you know, that we can, when we turn inwards, soften and, and, and pay attention. Like I like the beginning, the recognize, the allow and without judgment, right? Without oh. that, that allowance, just without judgment, just it's, it's not right or wrong. That was the big Shafali thing. Just, you know, there's no, what she always called duality. There's not a rightness or a wrongness. And if we can diffuse and take away any of those uh, projections that we put a, upon what we're experiencing as being bad or wrong, mm-hmm. then we allow. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. So there is no uh, judgment in the allowing while there may be judgment that we recognize initially, like, Oh, I'm judging myself. And in the allow it's, it's turning towards like, of course I am allowing that. Uh, of course I'm feeling this way. You know, I think it's uh, a Susie Lula that says it's so understandable that I'm feeling this way. And, um, and yes, and absolutely. It's about that non-duality of it, there is no right or wrong. It just is. And how uh, Dr. Shafali talks about, um, you know, accepting the isness. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it, it's the same concept. And uh, yes, I found all of the teachers to have that underlying theme of, you know, um, the acceptance of the present moment and um, what would be the most compassionate thing to do in this moment, um, asking ourselves that instead of operating from um, what, Dr. Shabali might call the ego or Susie Lula uh, might call uh, the survival self. Yeah. 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 And I think um, it comes to me. Thank you for all of that. That just <clears throat> for it, that it's a process that we begin. You said something earlier about things can be intellectualized and in our head and it does for our listeners, the work is worthy to begin. I mean, you can tell from Tanu's explanation that it's, it's just, really worthy work and, and it's a process. And I think that even as, um, you know, our circle, when we kind of talk about what's going on in our lives, you've all even witnessed me. I used to be a person that I'm, I don't consider myself an intellectual, intellectual, but everything would be up here. And then if someone else would even try to apply compassion for me to give it to me. I just wanted to just push it away, but that's probably a mirror into if you, if, you know, if I push away compassion, probably not that great at giving it to myself yet. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think that, um, we often operate from this space of, what Tara Brock calls the the trance of unworthiness. Uh, yeah. So we have this limiting belief, uh, which was an adaptation, a coping mechanism as a child, where we had to adopt this belief that we are not worthy of compassion. And so when we are even given compassion on a platter, we feel so uncomfortable and it's so unfamiliar um, that it, it, we don't, we're not, we're unable to receive it. And, uh, so, you know, we can want 
intellectually people to be compassionate to us. But it isn't until we turn inwards and reparent ourselves and give ourselves that compassion and address that limiting belief. Oh, what am I believing? Oh, I'm believing I'm not worthy. Oh, okay. Is that really true? Um, and and that's how we can shift. And that's when we are able to begin to receive compassion. And I think that the more we do that, anything lesser would probably become unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Such a great explanation. Um, yeah. And I really love that you have a date with a buddy when you were telling me that, because how perfect, I mean, you're creating a space within your weekly calendar that even if a person had, you know, once a week, I mean, we want these dates to be more often for our working with ourselves, but, um, kind of when you were talking about that, I was thinking like, oh, wow gosh, I don't usually think about taking myself on a date, but it's kind of a nice way to think of it because we're courting ourselves and we're courting that the worthy part of ourselves that deserves to be, to have this space. And what if, what if there was this world where we did put these dates on our calendar with a buddy, with a friend who could process whether it was rain or just sacred listening and listening and just listening with compassion. And um, it's just a beautiful concept. Yeah, thank you. Um, I really appreciate what you're saying. It reminds me of uh, Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. And uh, she talks about having dates with yourself. And I love this idea of having a date with yourself where you there's a surefire way of uh, offering yourself compassion as well as processing, you know, on emotions that need to be processed and you know during the week as I go on if something major is happening and I'm or even something actually smaller is happening because I tend to deal with the major things but if it's small I may just kind of say oh okay it's not a big deal let's move on um and but I can bank on that time that I will come back and yeah. handle that and process it and integrate it instead of just letting it um, kind of get stuck in my body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I can, I can see even, I know you do a lot of the work of connection with body and, um, and I don't know, I know that's been seeded in your work. Like as you've studied different modalities, it sounds like the ones you just described. Absolutely. Um, and you also have studied Gabor Mate's compassionate inquiry. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And, the, and how, how has that affected your work as a coach and not just with yourself, because, you know, so far you've, you've talked about how you work with yourself, but you know, you are a conscious relationship coach too. So just all these modalities and, and, you know, you use them both, you know, like you said, with yourself, but with your clients as well. And yeah, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about Gabor's work or just how it's affected your work. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, uh, it was an absolute privilege to um, learn from Gabor and, uh, it really shifted. It, it really shifted how I approach my work because, um, Gabor really helped me, um, understand that some of the, uh, what, what, Dr. Shafali calls ego or Susie Lula calls the survival self. Um, the, these parts had no other choice 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was a it was a matter of choosing between a child's authenticity and their survival, um, and th- which is basically connection with their caregivers. And they, they had to choose connection over their authenticity. And so just really having deep compassion for uh, my clients and helping them have compassion for the, those parts of them um, yeah. where, you know, they, they adopted these adaptations um, that Gabor calls a stupid friend who still thinks that you're three um, and still gives you the same advice, which would have been really helpful, which saved your life at three, but now it just gets you into trouble. So it's maladaptive. Um, So yeah, it it really has helped me um, have compassion for um, parts of my clients and their uh, adaptations, as well as helping them see that, you know, it's not their fault, um, that Mm -hmm. those are the coping skills that they had to uh, adopt as children. Yeah. And do you see too, that, you know, what I hear you saying is that when we are presented with certain scenarios in our childhoods, that we are watching from a child's eyes, that we begin to behave in ways that we have to to kind of adapt to our environment because possibly our true selves, the way we just came into the world, wouldn't be tolerated, whether it were if if I were a lively child and every time they were like, you're be quiet, you know, i I grew up with, I think, in the generation of seen and not heard. So, so many of us did. And that's transforming now, which is such a beautiful thing. But um, I learned to be quiet. And then what happened to me is I remember, and I can see certain pictures of me in my childhood of Maureen, like good little Maureen. And they'd say, she's so quiet. She's so quiet. And I would, I would be sitting there and I could see the pictures and sort of wide-eyed, but taking in everything that, that my elders were saying and, and, and then transforming that in my mind to I'm likable. I will be honored if I'm quiet, quiet, but is what happens to a person um, over their lifetime that we get to our adult selves into our thirties, into our forties, into our fifties. And we just are feeling this kind of almost like friction of what our true self is. If we've carried on that persona, that mask, that survival, that stupid friend, for that many years, it's going to come for a lot of us to a head almost like it's going to be where, whether it's a breakdown, whether it comes out, you know, and maybe in an illness, whether it comes out just in our relationships, is that what you see? Is that the right idea? Like for, like just to give an example for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the universe just keeps on presenting us with opportunities to wake up. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, yes, I think that life keeps presenting us with opportunities and um, reminders that we need to wake up. However, because we are in that trance of unworthiness, because we're sort of uh, hiding um, our true selves in order to protect it um, it, behind those adaptations, behind that survival self, it's challenging, right? And Mm -hmm. um, thank you for sharing so vulnerably. Um, 
I just want to acknowledge you uh, that what a testament to this podcast is for you to be exercising your voice <laughs> after you received that message as a child. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. It's so, it's so true. And it's the, it's been a journey of transformation and that's, that's a really important point you make because I think we can look to another and see what they're doing and think, oh, oh, that's easy for her. But in fact, we all have our stories and we all have where we came from. And that's, I mean, if someone's sitting with me, um, whether it's a client or a sister or a friend, I know just by doing this work that we all have extensive backgrounds and places and hurts and woundings and, and painful places that we came from. And so, uh, and we're in, even if we've gotten to a certain point where we can use our voice more and more, or it's all a work in progress till the day we die is the way I see it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, it's Michael Brown who says in presence process that um, I'm not exactly quoting him, but the gist of it was that because we're human, we can't escape that we are going to have some childhood wounds. Yes. No matter how conscious our parents are. And I see that every day in my life right. with my kids. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and, and yes, uh, it's, it's, it wasn't our fault, like Gabor says, right? And as Susie says, and um, but it is our responsibility. So life is going to present us with uh, opportunities. And mm-hmm. often I feel like they look, they, they're not comfortable. They look more like challenges, right? They're, they're not necessarily the comfortable places. Um, so it is up to us to um, rise up to the call of life and, um, mm-hmm use it for our conscious growth and use it for yeah. our awakening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's been such a good conversation around compassion and just the different things you've uh, noted today, reparenting, um, coming to our survival mechanisms, our ego, whatever's operating within us, that's not working anymore. I think that is because I, I, I feel like sometimes, even if I use the word consciousness, that word can seem sort of lofty and it can seem like, what does that mean? And, but I, it's everything we're talking about today. It's, it's all the work that's encompassed for we're human that it's our work on this planet earth. And I think when we're willing to, to begin to listen to these conversations, to um, open ourselves up to, Oh, wow, I do have these emotional worlds operating within me. I'm I'm going to get curious. I'm going to be willing. I'm going to um, sit with somebody who can guide me through it. And I think that's such a, I just, just sitting here listening. It's such a beautiful um, thing that coaches like you can offer is spaces with, to sit with someone and be with someone who allows whatever's coming up for you, but to have these really fabulous tools to tap into ourselves. And sometimes it is using that, that outside tool before we just start to cultivate it. And it becomes so natural to us. And as we know, we've been practicing for a while and it's not always the first thing you turn to and right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We're unlearning not only decades, but generational stuff here. So it's so understandable that it takes a lot of practice and intention. Absolutely. 
Yeah. I'm so happy you said that because I know one of the cornerstones of your work has been the unlearning and the, I don't know if dismantling is or deconstructing of what comes down through the generations. Can you talk to that a little bit? Because I just love, I, I love that area of the changes, transformations we're committing to in this lifetime are, are, are deconstructing what's come before us and, and leading to healing. But I know you can say it better than that. So what, why do you love generational healing so much? And what is it? Uh, great question. Um, why do I love generational healing so much? Well, I think that, like I already said, um, it's not our fault, but it's our responsibility. So mm. I, as a child, went through a lot of pain, and I'm sure I'm not alone. Um, but I feel this really strong inner sense of responsibility to not pass that on to my kids, because I know that pain firsthand. And I, uh, while I had to... Um, you know, give up a lot of my authenticity, I am really grateful that there is still a piece of me that believes that that wasn't right, what was happening. And um, so, and I think, I think that to some extent, all of us have that, because there is this, this uh, spark of consciousness, uh, awareness, or wisdom that resides in all of us, because that's our essence, right? So, um, so I, I absolutely feel that responsibility of not passing on, um, the trauma. And, um, I think that many people don't realize that it's generational. Um, and also uh, in my own journey, as I was very self-critical in the beginning as a parent, I, I thought it was just all me. I was, yeah. I was just failing every day and, um, you know, and then just realizing that, oh, it's actually generational. It's way bigger than just even just a few decades of life that I have lived. It's yeah. way bigger than that. Just even getting real with that helped me again, have compassion for myself. Mm-hmm. you know um and mm-hmm. uh it and it's also really encouraging that um you know there will be some generational patterns that i have broken that my kids would never even know yeah. where in in the chain of what was passed down mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. uh while i can't break them all um i want to break what i can <laughs> yes <laughs> Oh, such a, yes, beautiful, beautiful um, kind of dive into just a little bit of generational healing, just perfect explanation. Um, yeah, I, I, there's, I just have to reflect back to you that the sort of how you are alchemizing your work, uh, both for yourself, but for the work that you're doing around consciousness and conscious relationship um, coaching is such a, it, it's just got so many juicy parts to it with the compassion, with the generational healing and just all these sub components of those. I think each of us brings in what is exactly there for us to heal, but that, that allows us to, to bring it to um, the greater world around us. And that's why I love these conversations so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It blows so me away. Yeah. Um, 
Well, Tanya, as we're finishing up today, I always like to ask, you know, where can the listeners find you um, if they want to look into your work more? And um, just as a, an, a, an addition to that too, do you sometimes do coaching around some of the mindfulness, some of the compassion work that we've been talking about today? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, I, I think you can find me on Instagram at Stillwater Reflections. That's mm-hmm. uh, definitely a great place to connect with me. I do have a website that I am still in the middle of updating. It's stillwaterreflections.com. But like I said, it's not updated at the moment. Um, I do offer um, workshops from time to time. I also offer mother support groups and I offer uh, book clubs that are related to, um, you know, people who are seekers and healers. And, uh, and of course, I offer um, one on one coaching. Oh, wonderful. Okay, good. Well, I always put all the resources in the show notes so people can find you. But I just want to thank you so much for being here and contributing to our conversations on Mystical Sisterhood. Thank you, Maureen. It has been such an honor to be here. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you. We'll see you next time, listeners. I hope that you really enjoyed the conversation today. If you did and you know a friend who might benefit from it, please share. And um, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mystical Sisterhood. If you love what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and subscribe and leave a review and share with a friend if you're called to do so. To learn more about my one-on-one coaching programs or join the Mystical Sisterhood membership, visit MaureenSpielman.com or MysticalSisterhood.com. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode.